chapter 6. We're getting close to the end of our study in this wonderful book uh, of Paul's, written to a group of churches in a geographic area, Galatia. There's probably five or six churches there. This letter was passed around so everybody would have a chance to read it uh, and to hear from Paul and his both his greetings and also his words of wisdom about uh, theological things, about practical things, how their lives should reflect the image of Christ. So if you're able, would you please stand with me as I read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, open our eyes, open our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord, that we should walk in the way that your word lights for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8 this morning. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. When I grew up, the spiciest thing in my house was black pepper, okay? Um, my parents came from kind of an old school of cooking. It just wasn't, there weren't a lot of spices in it. It was good, hearty food, you know, and, and when dad would go to the grill to, to grill something, then, you know, the, the Morton salt would come out and the black pepper would come out and that was great. And then I married Judy, okay, and I, I still can remember the day she, she made a burrito and I took a bite of it. <gasps> and it was so hot. Okay. Now it's like a drug. Okay. We just have all kinds of hot peppers at our house. We love spices. You know, we love to go to the restaurants and, and, and have it. We've got, you know, the red pepper flake. We buy it in a big thing like this. We've got four or five hot sauces at least. Well, years ago when Judy and I were, were, were like, yeah, we really like hot peppers. Why don't we just grow our own? Okay. Won't that be simple? We just, so we bought a pot. And we, you know, got the right kind of dirt, and, and we put some tomato seeds in there, and we watered it, and, and, and you know, at the end of the summer, we didn't have a single hot pepper. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. So, so we said, oh, we're going to get serious about it this time. We're going to get earth boxes. And earth boxes are these, these plastic boxes about this long and so high, and, and they have a reservoir in the bottom and a tube, and they've got, you put the right kind of dirt in, you know, it's that dirt with all the white things in it, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, the special dirt, and then you, on the top, you make a line of fertilizer, and you put your tomato seeds in, and you cover it with plastic, and you wait, and you know what comes up? No, no, it wasn't hot peppers, I can tell you that. It's tomatoes came up. And we're getting frustrated. I was going to call the earth box people. I said, I wanted hot peppers, and I kept having tomatoes. You can see where I'm going, right? It's not that hard, okay? If we had planted hot peppers, we'd have had hot peppers. But we planted tomatoes, and we got tomatoes. Imagine that. It's a shock, isn't it? It's a shock. This is the undeniable truth 
that Paul is stating here. What you sow is what you will reap. If you're going to sow hot peppers, you're going to reap hot peppers. If you're going to sow tomatoes, you're going to reap tomatoes. If you sow weeds, you're going to sow weeds. And if you sow sin, you're going to reap the consequences of sin, whether individually or corporately. That is just the way that it is. But so often we think that these rules, they don't apply to me because I can, I, I can, I can sow a little bit of sin, okay, and I'll never face the consequences of it. Or maybe we think I can sow sin for a, a, a season in my life or two seasons in my life and, and I'll never face the consequences because I'll wise up sooner or later and stop doing it, okay? You, oh, you go and sow your wild oats for a while and then, you know, then you'll, you'll mature. You sow sin, you're going to reap sin. You sow goodness and holiness, you're going to reap goodness and holiness, Okay? It's very clear here. Let's look at our passage. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Okay, the Greek that is structured there emphasizes the unchangeableness of God relative to this issue. Okay, God is not mocked. You can't treat God's law with contempt or think it won't apply to you even though you purposely sin. Because whatever a man sows... That too shall he reap. There is an inseparable connection between actions and consequences. Actions and consequences. The rule of agriculture is what you plant is what you will harvest. What you do determines what you will become. What you put into your body determines the health of your body. If you just eat chocolate all the time, your body will be unhealthy, unfortunately. Okay? In the end, over the long haul, this is what comes out. John Stott, who's a theologian, says, We cannot expect to reap the fruit of the Spirit if we do not sow the things of the Spirit. Even the transcendentalist, Ralph Waldo Emerson, understood this. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. If we sow things like death and immorality and abuse and dishonesty, then we're going to reap an awful harvest. That's just the way it is. Now, it may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't give God this and go, you're never going to get me, okay? You're ne- I'm going to go and live the way I want, and I'm never going to face a consequence of it. I'm just not going to pay attention to you, God. I'm just going to go and do whatever it is that I want to do and never face a consequence. God is not mocked. The laws of God in this world are for everyone, okay? Not just believers. They, they apply across the board to everyone. Sooner or later, the reaping comes the harvest comes and we're not getting away with anything he sees it now we think we're there we are in our private little world and I'm, I'm harboring this this these thoughts I'm harboring anger I'm doing these things God sees what we're doing we can't escape him we cannot escape him he sees he knows he will visit upon us the harvest of our sins, the reaping of our sins. This is what we sow. This is what we're going to get. Scripture proves this over and over and over again. A couple examples. Now, I'll list all the examples. I'll talk about 
just a couple. Lot, okay? Lot's the nephew of Abraham. Abraham says, pick a place where you want to live. And Lot goes, I want to live down there on the plain because what cities are down there on the plain? Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, I'm going to go down there and live. Now, what goes on in Sodom and Gomorrah? It's all bad, okay? It was all bad. But he goes down there, and then God says, I'm going to bring judgment upon the cities. And you know how Abraham goes, well, if there's 50 righteous, will you? With 10, they can't find 10 righteous men down there. And they go down, and Lot and his family escape, except what happens to his wife? She looks back, and it's not just to look back, hey, what's happening back there? She looks back longingly. Okay, that's the text. She looks back thinking, those are my people. That's my place. I liked it there. And what harvest was, what, was, what sin was reaped in Sodom and Gomorrah? It, it, the, the, it was terrible. We have people like Isaac, Jacob, Samson, Eli, David, takes another man's wife, has a child, the child dies. Okay? And, 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 and the punishment for that is his own children later in life will kick him out of the throne, kick him out of Jerusalem, okay? Now, these are the, some of these people are the heroes of the faith. I want you to tell you, there's no perfection here. There's no perfection until we get to Jesus, okay? These people failed, but yet the Lord used them nonetheless. David was a man after God's own heart, but he failed. Or his son Solomon Okay, Solomon oversaw Israel in the most prosperous time. They call it the golden age. When more, you just can't imagine, if you do a little study, the sheer weight of gold and silver that flowed into Israel at this time. Yet, during the reign of Solomon, Solomon drafted the Israelites into forced labor. He spent more time on his palace than he did on the temple in 1 Kings, he had numerous horses, it's listed. And where did they come from? They came from Egypt. That was a no-no. Deuteronomy 17 says, don't get horses from Egypt. Okay? The worst of Solomon's sins are recorded in 1 Kings chapter 11. Married 700 women, had 300 concubines. Many from the nations God had prohibited the Israelites from intermarrying with because they would lead the Israelites' hearts away from the Lord. And guess what happened to Solomon? He sowed into the pagan world, and what did he reap? He reaped a heart that was taken away from God. Now, many, doubtless many of his marriages were political and convenience, but you can't sow sin and expect to never face the consequences except on TV, okay? Except on TV or in the movies, okay? And that, unfortunately, is one of the lies of popular culture as portrayed in the media that you can sin with impunity, that it's, there's never a payback, there's never a harvest. Rarely are there any consequences that we see. And now I understand you only have 30 minutes in a, in a TV show, so you can't show all the consequences of sin. Maybe you have two hours in a movie, maybe, but really. I play in a string group, and we're playing, one of the songs that we're playing is Laura's theme from Dr. Zhivago, okay? And the director, who is younger than me, said, I've never seen Dr. Zhivago. And of course, I went, really? 
Where you been? It's, it's the classic romantic tale. And she said, well, what happens? I gave her this synopsis. A poet slash doctor leaves his wife and children for another woman who has left her husband. The communists take over. They make everybody's life miserable. They kill hundreds of thousands. His family flees to Paris and wishes him the best with his new love. They lose touch and he dies in the end. <laughs> and she said, and this is a classic love story. I said, it, literature loves it. Okay, it's not, according to God, it is completely immoral. Completely immoral. Okay? But that's what society loves. Okay? They love it. Modern media hardly ever presents the real world consequences of our sin. You know why? Those consequences don't sell. Okay? Well, how would you like to be the advertiser following the real life consequences of something? that is shown on TV. That's a downer. Man, who wants to eat a Lay's potato chip after I saw what happens to people who do those things? Nobody wants to do that, okay? Teen pregnancy, as an example. More than 60% of young unmarried mothers live in households that qualify to be poverty, okay? 60%. One in four young mothers will be on welfare within three years. You have less access to education. Ultimately, you cannot get the, uh, a better job. They're much less likely to complete high school, much less likely to even go to college. Puts them at a disadvantage. Over the last 20 years, those who were pregnant in their teenage years, their income has dropped 28% according to the standard of society, while those who finished high school and went on their income has raised 19%. Okay? You still see those kind of consequences in the media. No one gets a disease for immorality. Adultery doesn't lead to heartbreak and the destruction of the family. We write odes and poetry about it. Okay? Sin has no downside. It's applauded in some places. It's the norm. If you have an itch, scratch it. If you have a desire, fulfill it. But Scripture says don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. If you plant seeds of immorality in your garden, you cannot expect anything but immorality to flourish there. Remember, there's no profit in gaining the whole world with all its status, with all its power, with all its pleasure, and losing your soul in the process. Now, Paul here is reminding the Galatians that they have to get their priorities right. They have to give time and energy to that which concerns the ultimate issues of life and eternity. Not merely the things that catch our eye, the things that look good, the things that I may want to dabble with just for the moment because oh, they're going to they're satisfy me for the moment. If we involve ourselves, remember chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, just flip back to verse 19 and 20. If we indulge these things, the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. Paul says, I've warned you, if we indulge in those things, what do you expect the harvest to be? Okay, understand, even as believers, remember, we are saved. Grace has come upon us. We've been given a new heart, but within us remains enough sin that we know its voice 
Now, we have the ability to fight against it, to go, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, but sin still calls our name. And if we give heed to the voices of those things in our lives, the danger is they're going to take hold. The danger is we're going to remember these old friends that, that are, some are listed here for us, and, and we're going to spend time with them. The harvest will be bad. The harvest will be bad. Now, the same is true for the good stuff. If we sow the good stuff, we can expect to reap the good stuff. Now, we live in a sinful world, and there are all kinds of things like that. But if we're going to sow things of holiness in our lives, things of righteousness, then we can expect that type of harvest as well. I mean, do you want to grow in your spiritual maturity? You look around, you see some strong believers, you see those who are mature in their faith, and you wish you were more like them, then you have to ask the question, well, am I sowing those things? Am I participating in worship? Am I doing my personal devotions? Am I spending time in prayer and study on a regular basis? Am I growing in my knowledge of Christ and what he calls me to do? If you're not doing those, then you can't really expect to harvest spiritual maturity. But if you're doing those, and they build on one another, okay? As you do them, longer and longer you grow more and more and more into the image of Christ. Christ. I mean, how can we become like Christ if we aren't willing to do the things that he calls us to do? Live in the way that he calls us to live. If you don't feed on the bread of life, you shouldn't expect the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? If you fill your heart with the things that are contrary to Scripture, now I don't care how much fun they are. I don't care how cute they are. I don't care if the world says these things are harmless. If scripture says don't go there, don't participate in those things, don't fill your mind with those things, don't be influenced with those things. If you do that, then out of your heart will flow the same things. It's just the way it is. So what might it look like to, in a sense, sow to the Spirit? Sow to the Spirit. To invest in spiritual maturity, to invest in the growth of the kingdom. Now, for us, sowing to the Spirit involves the, the cultivation of those things, the cultivation of finding joy in the obedience. Okay? The law of God is not a burden to us. It is a joy to find obedience to the Word of God because it is there that I find the perfect will of God. You have to find a, a joy in generosity. You know, one of the great things, and... and, and Unfortunately, so many of my pastor friends don't understand this. They don't experience it. We go and we have our annual meeting every year. And you get how much mission money went out of this church. And we all say it's always about 16% of the budget. Okay, But it always ends up twice that amount because you all give above and beyond to missions. Okay, so we end up with a quarter of a million dollars going to missions out of this church. And I tell my pastor friends, like, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, that's the way it is. And it is always exciting to see that, how you go above and beyond. You're sowing the right things. The reaping is coming across the globe. It's coming down in Chelsea. It's coming in Nashville. It's coming in Little Rock and Denver. It's coming in the missionaries that go out with the gospel to places that we don't go we can get them there. We can get them there. 
you know the parable of the sower. It's really the parable of the seeds, okay? Sower goes out and he sows seeds. Some falls on bad ground, some falls on rocky, some falls on the thorny ground, and some falls on the good soil. And what does the good soil produce? Some 100, some 60, some 30-fold. If I'm going to sow the things of righteousness, the things of holiness, the things that please the Lord, what can I expect to reap? I'm not going to make it a... This is not, you know, you sow and you'll reap a hundredfold every time. It's the possibility that your holiness and justice and the things that you sow in your life and the life of those around you will reap a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Take an ear of corn, seed corn, put it in the ground. What does it produce? We know we're going to produce corn, okay? It's going to produce a stock of corn. On that stock, you might, you'll get one, maybe two. Every once in a while, you get two ears. So you've planted one ear of corn, or one kernel of corn. On every ear, there are approximately 800 kernels of corn. So you're planting one and getting 800. That's a good return. Okay, that is a good return. That's what we want to see in our spiritual lives. That's what we want to see as we sow these things of compassion and gentleness, sow the thing of the fruit of the Spirit. We want to see that type of return. But we have to understand you're not going to reap it tomorrow. In Pennsylvania, when I worked on the dairy farm, we would plant field corn. Field corn is what you ground up for feed to feed the animals. You had to have 90 days of weather where the temperature was above 70 degrees. So you wouldn't plant until it started. You you knew it was coming. And once the weather hit, then you had 90 days. We didn't plant on Monday and then go to the field looking for the plants to harvest on Tuesday. Okay, That just doesn't work. You will harvest when? In due time scripture says in due time almost every religion outside of hedonism which is all about self-fulfillment immediately almost every religion teaches the virtues of delayed gratification you do certain things now and you delay that until later you sow now and you continue to sow in your life and the lives of those around you what is right and what is good and what is just, and the harvest comes later. Now, many of us have sowed those things into our children. And, and you might be asking, hey, Rand, I did that, and my kids don't think anything like I do. They don't hold the same values as I do. That's right now. That doesn't change what we're supposed to do. It doesn't change how we pour into our children, how we pour into those around us. We pour in what is right. We live what is right. We sow what is just and pure. And we trust the Lord will bring about the harvest in due time. In due time. So if you sow godliness in your life, eventually it's going to lead to a godly harvest. If you sow sin in your life, if you pursue sin in your life and unholiness, you will reap the same. 
of what you have sowed. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, you, you've really made it simple for us today. Sow what is right, reap what is right. Sow what is evil, reap what is evil. You say, God is not mocked. We cannot fool you. We cannot pursue what is wrong and expect the right outcome. We cannot pursue the things of the world and the things of sin and expect godliness and holiness to be manifest in our lives. We must pursue you. We must sow the seeds of righteousness and holiness and godliness. We must sow the seeds of compassion, of gentleness, of generosity. Those things will be reaped in due time. Lord, whether it is us as individuals, whether it is a local church, whether it is your church across the globe, whether it is a society, these truths are the same. If we pursue what is ungodly, we will reap the same. If we pursue what is right, what is beautiful in your sight, we can expect in due time a harvest of the same. Lord, we give you thanks for these truths and that what you call us to do, not only call us, but what you empower us to do and to how we are to live. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. stand as you're able and join me in singing our hymn this morning, our communion hymn. We're going to do verses 1, 2, and 3 of Break Thou the Bread of Life, and after the Lord's Supper, we will sing the fourth verse.
for thou art love. It wasn't duty that held cross to the Christ, Christ to the cross. It wasn't even the nails. This is love for us. That's what took him there. That's what kept him there. That is what is demonstrated here. Yes, it's bread and it's juice, but it takes us to the throne of grace. It takes us to where the things that we have sown in this world come to fruition. Those things in our own lives, those things in the lives of others. As we go to the throne, the Lord says, put all that you are here before me. I know you and I love you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're unworthy to be here. We know in our own lives where we have fallen short of your glory. We know when we have harbored ill about our brother, when we have pursued things that are not pleasing to you. Lord, we come and we confess them to you. For it only there, before the throne, can we find forgiveness. Only in the finished work of Christ on the cross can our sin be atoned for. So Lord, we come before you on this day. And we want to be able to come to the table with hearts that are right. Not hearts that are conflicted. Not hearts that are in, in, in any way other than focused upon you. Close out those voices of society. Close out those images that they hold up as truth. Let us see Christ and him crucified. Christ and him risen. Let us know that the tomb is empty, but our hearts are full of him. Lord, in this moment of silence, we confess our sins to you. Heavenly Father, we seek your forgiveness for these sins, those which have been spoken to you and those which have not. For you know our hearts. You know whether we desire to turn from our sin or to cling to it. Send your Holy Spirit upon us that our desire would be for you more than anything else in this world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So those who have confessed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are welcome to come to the table today. The elders will move among you. Remember that the glasses are stacked, the bread's on the bottom, the juice is on the top. Be sure to take both, hold them until all have been served, and then we will take the elements together. So on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Then in a like manner he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood that has been shed for you. So often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until his return. So today let us show the Lord's death. Let us demonstrate the things of Christ. Let us come near to the throne.